We're going to be looking at chapter 2 there this morning. So we have, uh, we just came out of the, the holidays, Christmas season. I hope all of you had a, a great time. Um, I was, I believe, I think it was the 23rd. Um, the 23rd, I was sent on a mission by Stacy. And that mission was to travel down Ward's Road, take a left at a stoplight, and go to a building uh, with Walmart on the front of it. And I walked in, and I was like, this is crazy. And so just seeing the, the people's reaction and, and listening to them communicate and, and seeing everything that was going on, and man, I was, I was blown away. And so then I, I was thinking, and I was just curious the other day, so I decided to go look at the uh, retail sales. For 2023, because I just, I was, I was curious. And so what I saw, the, the National Retail Federation estimated in total Americans uh, would spend this year between uh, $957 and $967 billion this year on Christmas. Like, with a B, as in boy. That's a lot of money. I mean, if we, okay, if we're generous, we'll say that's, that's like $967 billion unwrapped by what, 9 a.m. on, and that's being generous, um, on, on Christmas, on one day out of the year. And, and it's hard for me really to, to think in numbers like that. So uh, another number that I saw that I have an easier time with is $1,000, and that is what... That's the average amount that, that the American adult will expect to spend at Christmas, $1,000 per person as they shop. Um, and so it's, a, it's amazing at the, when we look at the resources that, that are spent during this time of year. And so when I went and I, I saw that, it, it, it really struck me and... Um, I thought perhaps for the, first of all, the sanctification of my own heart and my own mind and that of my family and also for um, the sanctification of, of us here at Flat Creek. It might be good this morning for us to go and look at um, these few verses in 1 John chapter 2. So look with me there, verse 15. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, before we, we go and, and really jump in this morning to start to, to divide this, this passage up, and, and pull it apart, the first thing we need to do is to look at some uh, definitions to know exactly what we're, we're talking about here. Um, 
Scripture uses, especially the words love and world, those two words, because Scripture uses those things to, to, in different contexts to mean different things. We use those words in different contexts to mean different things, right? I, I say I love chocolate ice cream, and I say I love Lydia. I don't mean the same thing with those two things, right? I'm not laying my life down for a bowl of chocolate ice cream, but I will for Lydia. So I mean different things when I say that, and, and Scripture kind of uses these words differently as well. So um, first of all, love, when we look at the word love in this verse, it means to find pleasure and satisfaction in, to, to fulfill that craving, right? The, to fulfill that desire, to, to scratch the itch, so to speak, that we have in our hearts and our minds. The word world here uh, refers to that which is, is evil and, and sinful and, and anything that's opposed to God, opposed to, to purity and, and righteousness and goodness. And so what this is saying then, we're, we're not to find pleasure, we're not to find satisfaction in all that is evil and sinful and opposed to God. It's the correct, I'm sorry, direct command of Scripture. Do not love the world. And so this morning we're, we're going to take these verses and we're going to look at three principles or, or three strategies uh, for how it is that we as Christians, as born-again believers, those who have confessed our sins and, and placed our faith in Christ, can fulfill this command to not love the world. How do, how do we do this? So first thing we're going to see this morning is in verse 15. We're going to see that we reject loving the world by persevering in the love of the Father. And, and, and we see this in verse, again in verse 15. John writes, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Therefore, if somebody does not love the world, the love of the Father is in them. So to reject the world, reject loving the world, we must have this love for the Father in us. And, and when we look at phrases like this, it can be a little bit tricky. Um, when we're looking at Scripture and, and seeking to understand what it's saying, um, you know, if you look at this phrase in and of itself, the love of the Father, then we can ask this question, does it mean like God's love for us? Or does it mean, uh, love of the Father here, does it mean our love for God? You see how when you look at the phrase, love of the Father, just by itself, it, it's kind of ambiguous. We don't really know exactly what it's saying. Um, and, and we know that both are true, right? In, in Scripture, both are true. The, the Father's love for us as His children. Um, later on, down in, in chapter 3, John writes, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. Still further down in the letter, uh, chapter 4, John writes this um, in verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us 
and sent his son to be the propitiation. The word means a sin offering that that satisfies or, or pacifies the wrath of God towards us. His son was that and he was given for our sins. And so those verses, all of the, the language from Scripture that talks about, uh, especially the, the New Testament, the Father's love for us. He's redeemed us. He's, he's bought us back to himself at a, a price. The price of the, the blood of his own son. He's reconciled us to himself. He's justified us. He's regenerated us. He's raised us to spiritual life. Adopted us as children. He, he's currently sanctifying us as he makes us more like himself. One day he will glorify us and receive us into his presence for all eternity. All of that is true. Absolutely. In his great love for us as his children. But in the context of these verses, um, that doesn't seem to be what is being talked about here. Rather, in these verses, there's a contrast that's being made. On the one hand, it's clear John is talking about our love for the world. And so it would seem then that the most most appropriate um, contrast to that would be, on the other hand, to be talking about our love for the Father. And and it's clear also that Scripture speaks this way. So, um, for example, in Jude... Jude's writing to a a group of believers, and he gives them a command. He says, you are to keep yourselves in the love of God. There's a responsibility there. Uh, Jesus told his disciples at the the end of the Gospel of John in, in 15, he tells them, you are to abide, you are to stay and remain and and continue on in my love. There's a responsibility there. I believe so it's it's true. God supernaturally by His power, preserves those that are His in His love. However, there's also a, re- a responsibility, like we said, to, that we as believers have to persevere in our love and our affection for God, for the Father, as it says here in verse 15. And so how do we do this? How do we persevere in this love of the Father? And John tells us that in this letter, earlier in Chapter 2, he writes, Whoever keeps his word, meaning whoever keeps Jesus' word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. John takes it up a notch, takes it up a notch later in, in the same letter. In chapter 5, he writes this, For this is the, the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And, catch this, that his commandments are not burdensome. So how do we persevere in our our love for the Father and and so then reject the love of the world by doing what he has commanded us to do, by keeping his commands? And because he is slowly changing our hearts in our lives to be more like his, obedience to those commands is not burdensome. But rather it becomes a delight to us. We're, We're holding fast to him and we're rejecting what the world has to offer. As I was thinking about this and, and obeying the commands of Christ and, and therefore remaining in his love and, and abiding in him and, and abiding in the Father, um, 
one of the things that came to mind was uh, a man by the name of Paul Washer preached uh, preached a sermon back in 2002 um, that has widely became known as the shocking youth message. Um, he, because with great love, but also great passion and zeal, he, he stood up, he gave this message to like over 5,000 teenagers at like a camp or, or a conference. And um, all these professing to believe in Christ. And, and so he, he tells them um, that they're, they're, the greatest command they have, the greatest duty that they have as believers is to continually and consistently go to the Word of God, find out what it says, and do it. And he gives several examples. You know, you are to honor your father and mother. How do you do? Go to the Word of God, find out what it says, and do it. You need to know what it means to be a godly young man and godly young woman. How do you know that? Go to the Word of God, find out what it says, and do it. And over and over, he gives, this, gives examples about this. We go to Scripture, we see what God has to say, and we obey. That is how we persevere in our love for the Father. And so that's the first thing we see in these verses this morning. We reject the the love of the world by persevering in our love of the Father through our obedience to Him. Secondly, in this text this morning, we see that we reject loving the world by putting to death sinful desires. Putting to death sinful desires, and we we see this in verse 16. There John writes, for all that is in the world, and then he gives kind of three categories, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And so, as we said, three categories here. First, desires of the flesh. These are desires to to fulfill, um, basically a longing for personal pleasure, right? We we often experience with our five senses, Um, you know, overindulging in in food and eating and gluttony, Um, overindulging in drinking with drunkenness and, um, you know, sexual sin and, and relationship outside of God's design for sex within marriage by engaging in, you know, whether it's fornication or adultery or, or pornography or whatever it may be. Um, indulging in it, comfort, right? Laziness. Leisure. Um, spreading gossip. Listening to gossip. All, all of these things um, that, that satisfy the craving that we have of, of sensuality and sinful desire in our hearts. And we all struggle with these things at different times. And, and these things that are our flesh finds to be so satisfying. But yet we're called to put them to death. John also mentions here the desire of the eyes. And we all know the, the eyes are like the vehicle, right? Vehicle by, by which the sinful desires of our hearts are fueled. Right? We, we see and, and we, we desire and we covet and we want. Um, my, my father-in-law is on this like, it's kind of keto-like diet. Um, he's done a great job. He's lost a lot of weight. 
um, and, and in, good, in good shape. And he was telling us the last time that he was here that really after a while, you don't even really crave, you, you don't want junk anymore. Um, the, the stuff that he used to eat, he doesn't, he doesn't want it. Except he had recently seen a commercial for a payday candy bar. And he was like, I don't even like payday candy bar. But there's something about when he saw that commercial, it, 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 it fueled something. It, it created this craving inside of him. Now, it, it, not saying it's sinful to desire payday or to eat a payday, but it, it's the, the illustration there of how powerful seeing with the eyes can be. They, I remember it's something they, they emphasized in our training when we went to Mongolia as well. Especially in the day of, of social media, they talked to, to us, tried to prepare us for the fact that, that we were going to fight against this, especially, um, you know, we would see people we knew posting stuff about, you know, buying a new house or, or buying a vehicle or, or going on vacation with family and being with them. Or all the things that we couldn't have because of where God had called us to. And... Um, None of it is wrong or bad, but it's just stuff that we couldn't do because we're, we're half a world away in another culture and struggling. And, and so we would be confronted with those things we couldn't have. Just another example of how our eyes are so directly connected to our hearts. We see it and we want it. And the sinful desire of the eyes must be put to death. The third thing listed here is the pride of life. Um, or you might have a, a footnote in your Bibles that might say something like pride in possessions. Um, and, and the Greek word here that, that's translated life in this verse has a, has a meaning, uh, a more literal meaning of, of the resources needed to maintain life. So if you've got a lot of resources, then you're wealthy. And so that's where the, that's where the translation pride in possessions comes from. Um, and the basic idea here is that we can become so puffed up and so proud at, at the things that we own or the things that we have or, or we draw it out a little bit further and we can talk about how you know, we, we struggle with sinful personal pride of, of what we accomplished right, or what we've achieved in this life. And, and my mind is always drawn when we talk about things like this to 1 Corinthians 4. And, and Paul writes, What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? And so this is true of material possessions, right? The Lord owns everything. We are stewards of it. It's true of talents and abilities that we have. The Lord has given those to us to be used for His Glory. It's true of the gospel. It's true of eternal life. We've received all of those things from him. And so there's no room for boasting and pride in our hearts and in our lives. Um, and I can uh, give you a, a quick illustration of, of this example of, of this in my life that, that came to my mind. was um, During my sophomore year of high school, the football coach came in and he put up these whiteboards in the weight room. Um, and for each lift there, 
uh, we were like, I think it was top three or top five, heaviest lifts. So like bench press, squat, deadlift, things like that. Um, and in the, those who lifted the most got their name on the whiteboard in the weight room. Well, I got to have that, right? I mean, that, that's, to me, I, I just remember that, that craving, that, that desire. And it's not, not talking about having a goal here. I'm talking about this, this thing that like consumes, right? Because why? Because of the pride of my heart. Um, I wanted to be known that I was great. I wanted to be told that I was great. It, it was interesting that one of the commentators said that, um, you know, the second category here involves the eyes. We could say that this third one involves the ears. The pride and being puffed up by what others have to say about us that we have accomplished. This pride of life must be put to death. And so we ask the question, how is this done? How do we put to death sinful desires? I think there's a, an application we can make here of a principle we learned a few Wednesday nights ago when we were studying together. We were looking at this study on forgiveness. We talked about the concept that, uh, of not remembering the hurt that someone has committed against us. And we said it operates on this principle that what we don't feed will die. And that's true, right? That's true physically. We don't feed our bodies, they'll die. Um, same is true for the sinful desires of our hearts. We don't feed those desires with our minds, with our eyes, with our actions, they will die. And I think the really difficult part of this um, is because of the remaining sin in us, these desires don't stay dead the first time you kill them, right? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a one-and-done thing. You don't, don't kill covetousness in your heart or you don't, don't kill lust in your heart and just for it to never return. It's an active daily pursuit. The mind and the, and the heart and in the actions. And so we, we must be through prayer and the power of the spirit that lives in us seek to daily wage this war against sins of the flesh. And a crucial point here, not only should, do, do we kill these desires, we also must replace them with even greater desires for that which is right and that, is, that which is good and, and pleasing to the Lord because our hearts aren't just going to be a desire vacuum, right? They're, they're not going to stay that way. So actively choosing um, with our hearts that we will change our desires. Now that's something that is very foreign to how we think. Um, I, and as a matter of fact, I just, I heard this exact phrase the other day. Um, and we hear things like, the heart wants what the heart wants. And that's just what it is, right? You can't help who or, or what you love. It just is what it is. Um, that's not the way that Scripture speaks. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, it's a very similar in substance to, to verse to what we were talking about this 
morning, Paul writes this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. In 1 Corinthians, he tells the church there to pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And so if Scripture is telling us to, to put to death some desires and to seek others, there must be something we do here in pursuing this change in what we desire. And so we change what we desire first by earnestly seeking, earnestly asking the Lord to change those desires in us. We pray and seek the supernatural work of the Spirit to change us. And then we actively work towards changing those desires. And this may, it may begin with the action first and praying that the Lord would use the action to change the heart. And so this, I'll give you some examples of, of, of what I mean there. Like, okay, we know, we know we should desire, we should crave to feast upon this Word of God. Right? It should be in us. But at times we don't. And so then we, we think of that. that it, it, it comes to mind we, and, and we actively then, we deliberately choose to set aside something else in our lives um, to go and to purposefully, again, deliberately open the Word of God and read it. Praying the whole time that God would use what we're reading to change our desires. Or we know that we should desire the salvation of the lost over material possessions. Right? We know that. But we don't always do it. And so therefore, we, we purposefully, again, deliberately choose. We're going to stop filling up you know, shopping lists and carts on Amazon and and looking online at what we're going to buy. And instead we choose to focus in prayer for the salvation of the nations. And we pray that God would change our hearts to that desire. So this idea of putting to death sinful desires of the flesh, of, of, of persevering in love of the Father, and, and our responsibility to do that. And in doing so, we reject loving the world. The third principle we see in this passage this morning, um, by which we, as believers, reject the love of the world, is by pondering eternity. Pondering eternity. We see this in verse 17. There John writes, And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Isn't it amazing to think about how short this world is? How incredibly short the time is that we have in this, this sinful world compared to all eternity. Like if you really stop, stop and, and think about it. Um, I mean, the lust of the flesh, right? How long does that pleasure last? Eating or drinking 
or watching pornography. How long does the, the thrill last compared to all eternity? Lust of the eyes. How long after you get the thing that you've been so wanting does that thrill last? As a matter of fact, have you ever found that in wanting it and craving it for so long and, and just daydreaming and thinking about how great it's going to be once you get it, when you do get it, it doesn't fulfill what you were thinking it would? It's amazing how, how, how the, the desires of our heart work. Um, the pride of life, all, all the stuff and the status and achievements that we obtain, how long do they last? I can tell you, I actually, um, I did at, at one point make it onto that whiteboard in the weight room. Guess what happened? We maxed out again a couple of months later. Somebody's name replaced mine, right? Because it doesn't last. Um, and even if our accomplishments last until we're dead, how, how short is that in comparison to eternity? So, so why take pride in those things? However, in this verse, we also see the other side of the coin. Right? Whoever does the will of God abides or, or continues to live forever. Those who do the will of God, show, they show the evidence outwardly that they have been changed inwardly. And, and we see this, it, it, what John says at the beginning of, of chapter 2, we read there, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever, whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So we, we don't earn faith in, in Christ. We don't earn belief. We don't we don't earn eternal life by what we do. But rather what this is teaching is that what we do confirms that our belief in Christ is true. And it confirms that it's genuine and it, and it leads to then this eternal life that we're promised. Eternal life with Jesus our Lord and our God. And we will worship Him and adore Him and and, and praise Him and serve Him for all eternity. Why would we ever trade that for temporary pleasure or the sinful things of this world? And again, when, when we take time to stop and to reflect and to ponder on that, it, it makes no sense at all. And so this is the command to those who are believers, to those who are disciples, to those who are followers of Christ, do not love the world. And so then my prayer this morning, as I said earlier, in, in my heart, in, in my families, in, in the hearts of those in my family, and then uh, us, as believers gather today, members of the body of Christ, that we might commit
at the beginning of, of a new year here to, to follow this command. And, and may we, by, by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, and by the grace of God to us, pursue this rejection of the world. By persevering in the love of a father, by putting to death sinful desires, and by pondering eternity. So let's pray. Father, we are so thankful this morning for, uh, Lord, your word, for your son, Father, that we might have eternal life. But Father, we also acknowledge our responsibility to, to fight in this, in this battle of sanctification. And so God, I pray that you would take, Father, what we have, have learned this morning and looked at and studied from your word, Lord. May you apply it to our lives. Father, may we pursue righteousness and purity and holiness. And Father, may you be pleased and glorified. And so we pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.